All right, hey everybody, it's Clint, back for another Run and Thought podcast. I tried to record this about a week ago at the Toyota dealership while my truck was getting serviced, but um, that didn't work out. I was doing pretty good for about 50 minutes, and then uh, someone walked into the waiting room. It was perfect uh, for that whole 50 minutes. Nobody walked in, I didn't have to pause or anything but as soon as the this lady walked in I felt uh, immediately embarrassed and I stopped the recording and stepped outside and I guess um, either I closed down the app or uh, it timed out but when I went back to start recording again uh, everything had been deleted so you know Hopefully it's a good thing and maybe I'll have my, uh, I'll have a linear train of thought for, for this iteration and, um, it'll be a little less tedious to, to listen to, but, uh, at any rate, so what I wanted to do for this particular episode was just kind of go over some things, um, in relation to like little, uh, I guess tips um, or advice that I have for anyone who's trying to start out, um, or who needs some advice or tips on, uh, ultra marathons and ultra running. Uh, I just wanted to share nothing, uh, earth shattering or that groundbreaking, but, uh, just some things that, uh, personal preferences and little things that I've learned, um, through my experiences with longer distances. Uh, so I guess I really can't have a episode right now without talking about um, coronavirus. And so that's definitely, I won't say in full force yet, but it's definitely, you know, gearing up. So we're experiencing um, some of that in Hawaii. Um, I live on Big Island, so we're not really bad yet. I think we've got three confirmed cases. Um, that was as of this morning. So, I, you know, it's not major yet uh, as far as those who are infected um, or the number of those infected uh, here on Big Island. But... Um, with the way that the disease seems to be progressing in other parts of the world, um, I'm kind of, you know, I think everybody's a little on edge and, um, we're definitely all taking, or most of the people here are taking the, the proper precautions, keeping social distancing and, um, making sure to wash our hands, but, um, for for everybody out there that is dealing with this, which is pretty much everybody, I think in the whole entire world at this point, um, stay strong. And, um, you know, I wish, I wish you clean hands and, um, healthy bodies. So, uh, with that said, uh, I have not been as active as I usually am, uh, the place that I usually go run after work every day, I change out at uh, Boiling Pots, and that has been closed since last week. They closed it up. 
um, just trying to keep everybody, I guess, away from each other. So that's a state park, and the place that I run is not a state park. It's just, it's kind of, um, I don't know what it is exactly. I think it's part private property, and I think part of it belongs to Department of Watershed Management. Um, but... The park, the state park where I change is closed and it's got a big sign that says, you know, no trespassing violators will be cited and, and on and on. So I'm not going to try to tempt that or, or trespass or anything like that. Um, I know I said that the place that I usually run is private property. I don't believe anybody that goes on that property is trespassing, but then again, I could be wrong. I've never been stopped on that property and I've seen plenty of uh, roaming security and stuff like that. So I think it's open to everybody. I've never heard otherwise. I've talked to, um, uh, I always forget what they're called. <laughs> uh, law enforcement, De Department of um, Wildlife. Uh, I'll think of what, of what the, they actually are called in a minute DLNR um, Department of Land and Natural Natural Resources. So I talked to their officers, and uh, I was actually talking to them about um, dirt bike riding on this particular parcel of land, and they said no, but they never said anything about you know you can't go on there at all or anything like that. So uh, I just wanted to throw that out there because I wouldn't knowingly trespass on somebody's property that's not I'm not into that um, there's plenty of places that I can go that it's legal and it's not you know encroaching on someone else's um, land so I don't encourage that type of behavior especially um, here in Hawaii um, well I guess not even especially here in Hawaii just anywhere I guess it's not cool to, to do that but at this point, I'm rambling. My point was, uh, I have not been able... Well, I have not gone because I don't have any place to change out. I don't like to change out at work. That's just kind of weird. That's like that's blending your uh, personal and, uh, I guess, professional life. <laughs> you know, whatever. Uh, I have not been to run at the waterfalls. Okay, sorry about that. I had to, a couple things happen. I stopped recording because there was a noise outside and the dog started barking. And uh, yeah, so now I'm back. Um, you're liable to hear even more noises. I'm recording this during the daytime, which is unusual for me. Usually it's at night when everybody's asleep. It's a little more quiet except for the cuckoo clock, as you may have uh, heard in previous episodes. But so, what I was talking about was not going up to my usual place. I've not been as physically active as usual, but I have been finding other things to do. Um, went on a bike ride over the weekend, which was the first bike ride I've been on in a long, long time. Um, just by chance, or not really by chance, because I couldn't go to my regular 
placed, I was going to go running down um, along Government Beach Road in uh, Lower Puna. And so this particular road, it extends from the neighborhood that I live in um, all the way down to where the the new lava flow is. So the one that happened in 2018, like the most recent one um, that was all over the news, this, uh, this road used to go um, even further down past that, uh, all the way down to, I think, I think it used to go to end of the road. I could be wrong. I could be wrong. I get discombobulated when I start thinking about um, the roads in Lower Puna. Um, but it went pretty far. It went way far down. But now it, um, they built the highway back. So 132 is, is now um, paved and you can drive on it no problem. And you drive through these uh, lava fields. This is this is fresh lava. I mean, this lava is only like two years old. Um, but you drive through it um, on these paved roads. It's it's crazy, and you see nothing. There'll be like a few houses still there. There's one house that's completely surrounded by lava. The siding you can see where it's partially melted. Um, somebody still lives there. God bless them. Um, so it's shockingly beautiful. It's startling, um, to see everything gone. And then it's, it's some, I mean, it's sad to think about all the people that are, are displaced from that area. It was a beautiful, um, a beautiful place. And, um, yeah, so, but point being, uh, I took a ride out that way because I was going to go run um, along the coast. That's a that's kind of my second favorite place. I used to go there almost every day. The, the only issue that I have with it, and it's not really, well, one of them is not a big deal. The other one is kind of a big deal. So back a couple of years ago, before the, the lava flow, I had gone there pretty regularly and um, at a certain point I quit I stopped going because um, even though it was convenient it's very proximal to to where I live um, there are some things that were going on like maybe some criminal activities uh, in that area which is a shame because I mean, just the the landscape itself, you would never, you would never associate it with that. But um, yeah, it had gotten pretty sketchy, and so I didn't want to leave my truck sitting uh, for long periods of time. And then I didn't want to be, you know, alone on the stretch of road, which at that point was uh, gravel road, um, which brings up kind of a secondary issue of the uh, dust uh, from the trucks and cars that would pass by. So uh, I don't think I mentioned this before, but my dad, he worked for um, 
he worked at a rock quarry for a great portion of his life and he ended up uh, with a brain tumor and um, kind of suspecting that inhaling rock dust may have had something to do with that. There were other people that got similar types of uh, brain cancer that worked with him um, at the quarries. So inhaling all that dust is, I mean, I for health reasons, I don't want to necessarily do that. And so, you know, maybe that could be a caution to everybody out there that's listening. If you do live in the area where you're running along gravel roads and you're getting all that um, dust and stuff in your lungs. Uh, I'm not a doctor. I'm no expert. But it could be that, um, you know, having that stuff in your lungs, you may not uh, you may not be able to um, process it out effectively. And there may be some kind of side effects. So just something to be cautious of. You, if you don't have a choice but to run in areas like that you may want to wear something over your face just to keep that those particulates out of your lungs but i'm getting way off off uh, <laughs> off course here uh, so the criminal activities were one thing the um the dust was another um and less of an issue is it's just it's all at sea level so it's right at sea level yeah so, some parts are running um, along sea cliffs but uh, it's not it's not that high I mean you're you're basically at sea level through most of it so um, I like to get a little bit of elevation I like to get some climbing in because that's where you really um, build up your endurance and your leg strength and kind of running on uh, long flat paths is cool but it doesn't I don't feel like you really grow much endurance wise from just doing that all the time um, but yeah so I prefer the challenge of going up a, an incline um, so that's why I usually go to the Narnia place that's up by um, where I work so, uh, I got off topic. Uh, yeah, so I drove down to go running at this place. And then by the time I got out there, it was getting a little bit later. Um, and there were plenty of people out there because they, I guess, the, not the quarantining, quarantining, but like the self-quarantining had already started. So I guess people were trying to get out and everybody had the same idea they tried to go to this place because normally there's not a huge amount of people out there but um this particular day there were cars parked in almost all the places that you could park so um because i could not park in that kind of public area uh, i didn't really want to park anywhere along the road as you get deeper into this um kind of forested area so I just kept driving and um, drove all the way down to what I thought was going to be the end of the road because, I mean, 
not even it hasn't even been six months since the last time I was down there and uh, me and my friend drove out and the road ended it abruptly ended because there was a huge pile of um, hardened lava that just ran right over the road and was blocking the way so in the last six months they've gone and, and redone these this road so shout out to um the dot and all of the uh hawaii county and hawaii state workers that were involved in getting all that repaved i know the um the residents down there and um, people like me too that are just passing through i know we all appreciate it a lot um but yeah, so now it's all paved up, and I, I was surprised to see that it was. So now you can um, go down Government Beach Road and then hit um, 132, and then you can drive that or run it or bike it or whatever all the way back up to um, where I live. So um, I, I got excited. Just driving down that road, it kind of made me think because it's paved now and I used to run on the the gravel and I kind of prefer to run on that gravel rather than the road itself one because I, I mean I know I talked about the particulates okay so besides that um the road the cars can go faster on the paved road um or the cars tend to go faster I, they can go just as fast on gravel believe me seeing that um but they tend to go faster on the uh, paved road. So that's kind of a safety concern for me. And then um, it's, to me, feels like there's no give when you're running on a road. So it's kind of uh, harder on your feet and your joints and all. So I prefer just to run on the trail, which the trail is not a whole lot better here because most of it's all hard and lava rock. So, um it's just my personal druthers. I'd, I'd rather be on the trail than on the road with all the cars. Um, that said, it's not a highly trafficked road. So uh, driving down, I was thinking, man, this would be perfect to ride bikes on. So I instantly made plans to, <laughs> to do this. And I called up my friend and... Um, the next day at work too, I um, I started recruiting people <laughs> to go to go on a bike ride with me because I definitely wanted to do this and I wanted the family to go with me too, but they they opted out at the last minute. So, well, well, not really at the last minute, but they opted out the day of. So, had other things to do. But that's all right. Um, it's so close; I can literally go anytime. Uh, but yeah, so that was a really nice bike ride. It will take you through, um, it's kind of sparsely residential. All these places along this road are, uh, 100% off the grid. I believe they're all on, um, uh, catchment water. And, um, if they've got electricity, it's solar. I think that's an accurate statement. Solar generator. I don't think they run power lines out there and I don't think they have uh, city water but um, 
So there's some really pretty houses out there. There's some houses that you don't ever see because the driveways are real long and you don't dare go <laughs> go up them <laughs> for fear of life and limb. But um, it's laid back, you know, banana trees, palm trees, um, African tulips, uh, all kinds of jungle growth uh, on either side of this road. There's a place called Mermaid Ponds that's off to the, it's on the shore side of the, the road. So if you're going down, it's off to the left. If you're coming back up towards uh, Hilo, it's on the right. Uh, so we took that bike ride. It was cool. I got to ride my bike, which I haven't probably in a couple, like a year or two. <laughs> So this bike, me and my wife, we got a matching set of bikes. Well, hers is pink and mine's silver, but um, we got a matching set of bikes back around, eh, we basically just got married. We, it was like a year, maybe a year or two after we had gotten married. So this was like back in 2006-ish. Um, time frame here so that's how old these bikes are and uh they've survived well i mean we've moved them around but once we got them to hawaii the air here is just full of um moisture and salt and uh those bikes are toast i call mine uh rolling tetanus because it's just covered with rust on the handlebars the parts that are aluminum you know they're fine but anything that's uh kind of stainless steel or chrome or anything like that it just doesn't stand a chance so even the cables and stuff are, are rusted out kind of sketchy but yep so we got rolling tetanus out and went for a ride it was nice and i'm definitely going to do that again hopefully next time um with the family uh so yeah, stuff like that's good, and I, you know, I may do some running down that road, uh, since the other place is kind of not as accessible. Uh, oh, also the other thing is it's been raining create like crazy here, so flash flooding up at um, the waterfalls and um, just overall, you know, there's mud, and then there's just you know, standing water up to your knees. And so at a certain point, the the running becomes untenable when there's just, you know, giant pools of water where there used to be a, tra a trail. Um, not exaggerating, like we're talking like halfway up your calf in, in some places. So, you know, that's no fun to get, to get going on a run and, and your feet are immediately wet. <laughs> but... Uh, we'll get over it we'll get back to it uh, hopefully pretty soon but um, yeah more important things to think about with um, just trying to stay safe and, and trying to not get um, sick and all uh, yesterday I just started doing stuff in, inside I pulled out the the fan bike and did about 60 minutes on that tossed around a kettlebell a little bit um that's probably what i'll i'll do since the weather is not 
being too nice and um, you know I'm not too sure that it's a good idea to be you know going out to places where there's um, a bunch of other people around so trying to just keep it at home and, and be somewhat responsible um, not spread anything around or, or get anything spread around to me but uh, yeah, so that kind of like brings you up to speed where we're at now. Um, I'm sure no one really needed to hear that, but in case you did, um, now you know. So to get to the actual meat of this thing, uh, what I wanted to share with everybody, uh, just some tips, and this is going to be somewhat stream of consciousness, stream of consciousness, just as I... Uh, extrapolate these items from my memory <laughs> so I'm not sitting with the list uh, I'm going to try to do the best job that I can so I figure um, we'll start off with things that I usually take with me on an ultra run uh, so I guess really let's start off by saying I'm going to say ultra run a lot and I'm going to talk about ultra running in this podcast a lot and I'll probably talk about them. Well, yeah, in this episode, I'm going to talk about it a lot and then in the podcast in general, I'm going to talk about it a lot. So uh, just let it be known that I am in no way pretentious uh, in my running or my view of running. It's something that I enjoy to do and I enjoy seeing other people do it. And I don't care if you're just a person that runs three miles and puts 20 pictures up on Instagram about it. Um, I don't care if you run marathons or if you run 5Ks or if you're an ultra runner, whatever. Um, I know in my heart (laughs) that there's people that can do way more than I can do way more impressive times. and that are that could give you way better advice than what I can give. So um, when I talk about ultra running, please don't take it as me being pretentious or me ignoring all of these other uh, distances. So um, just to let everybody know, that's kind of where I started back in. It's just you know these kind of stepping stones. Uh, you know when I first started back. To running I was doing only like a mile or two and being winded so it's you know it's one foot in front of the other literally uh, you're just taking steps and um, hang on one second okay sorry about that dog started barking again um, I'm gonna be hard-pressed to get a totally quiet environment to do this in but no worries um, also if you hear any little Um, creaking noises that's not me that's the recliner that I'm sitting in I've got this uh, there's the dogs again I'm just gonna let them bark Um, so I've got this recliner that I got off Craigslist I love it Um, for a long time my dream was after my long runs especially to be able to come home and just sit in a recliner and uh, fall asleep it's the best feeling ever uh, and so the price of recliners is ridiculous. Um, and being a man of limited means, 
uh, I had to source one off of Craigslist. So I ended up finding this one and it's not, it's not horrible by any means. I lucked out in being able to find it uh, for the price that I got at, but it's not a luxury item at all. So, uh, and it's definitely not brand new. So it does make a few little creaks and, and moans. So if you hear some noises, it's not me breaking wind. It's my recliner. Um, or we'll say it's probably not me breaking wind. It's probably my recliner. So we'll just leave it. We'll leave that seed of doubt. You can make up your mind. But, uh, but yeah, so what were we talking about? Oh yeah. So ultra running distances, um, you know, that are not ultra, that's totally fine. I don't want to discourage uh, anybody at all from putting on your shoes and getting out and doing something no matter what it is. So let that be known. Like I am not uh, full of myself. I don't profess to be an expert. I just, I like to get out on long runs. I like to be in a natural environment on a trail and, um, you know, that's my jam. And that's the only reason I do it. And I've always said that if I ever stop enjoying it, then I will, that's the time that I will quit doing it at all. But so far, um, I think it's been like five or five to seven years back and, and, uh, going, going strong have not felt like stopping yet. So, uh, yeah. So just don't be offended if I'm not talking a whole bunch about 5Ks and 10Ks and uh, marathons and this and that. It's Those are all equally cool to me. And if you run those distances and that's what you like to do, then um, I do have some advice for those things. Uh, but for now, I'm just going to focus on the, the ultra running because the reason why is because uh, I have a friend that was supposed to be doing his first. Uh, hopefully that will still happen. Um, but I just wanted to give some advice out for him and then also for anybody else that may come up and need some advice. We'll just have it here um, for posterity. Uh, so things that I like to bring with me on ultra runs um, it really depends on the distance so if you're doing a 50k that's not a whole lot longer than um, a marathon so a marathon's 26.2 miles and the 50k is somewhere around 31 miles so you're not looking at a huge distance gap there time it may take you a little bit more time to do the 50k um, than it does a marathon or it may not uh, just depends on you and how much you've trained or um, how good you deal with the distance so there's a thing that happens or there's a thing that has to happen to run these longer distances uh there's kind of a mind thing that happens where, um, as my dad puts it 
so succinctly, uh, if you don't mind, it don't matter. And that's that basically sums it up. In order to run a, an ultra, and even to run a marathon, you have to have a little bit of sticky to itness, and you have to have that um, outlook of if you don't mind, it don't matter. Because a lot of things are going to go wrong during the course of um, a marathon. And, and I say little things because some of them can be very little. Like maybe you didn't bring enough um, goo packs or something for your marathon or your um, 50K. You know, that's relatively minor, minor thing. Um, we're not looking at a huge amount of time or a huge amount of distance that you're going to be going without that gel pack, that goo pack or whatever. You could probably, you could probably bring it home without that, but you know, you'll have minor things that go wrong to major things that go wrong, like muscle cramps or, um, you know, nausea. Uh, but it's going to be probably to a lesser scale in your, um, your 50k distances you'll probably be able to power through and, and manage those um, when you get into you know like a, a 50 mile or 100 mile that's a lot different that requires a lot more of the sticky tuness and um, that place that you go inside your mind where you decide that things don't matter um, and I think even in, for me, even in a 100 mile ultra, my mind went to full on hallucinations. And so that's something to be aware of is, um, you know, during these longer distances, your mind may be altered. So that brings us to our first thing to bring. Uh, if you have the luxury of being able to have a pacer for your ultramarathon, that is definitely a good thing to bring with you. If you don't, then if you have the luxury of having a crew, even if it's only one other person, um, that is definitely going to be beneficial to you. I will say that with selecting your pacers and with selecting your crews, Try to select people that you know are dependable and that will bring some value to um, your effort. Also, um, no matter who volunteers um, ever so graciously to help you in your endeavor, make sure that you sit down and talk with them and just kind of spell some things out. If they've never paced or crewed an ultramarathon before, you may want to let them know, you know, hey, um, just kind of get out of the way. Let them know my attitude's liable to change. Um, it's not got anything to do with you. I may become a different person because I may be on a death march at some point. I may feel like I'm literally on a death march um, if I'm ornery it's got nothing to do with you please brush it off please help me because um, I'll need your help at that point um, and I'll appreciate it a lot and um, 
you know, just kind of that sort of conversation with them. And then also let them know what your expectation is of yourself. And um, the best thing I think that you can do is to be honest with yourself and then be honest with them too. When is it time to call it quits? So um, your mind is going to go through so much while you're actually in the experience. You're going to have times where you really, really feel like you want to quit in that moment. Um, But the problem is that it is just a moment and some of those moments are fleeting. And another thing is it doesn't always get worse. Uh, oddly enough, sometimes you actually do come out of just feeling like one step away from death into feeling, uh, you know, great into having some kind of really weird second wind that you didn't see coming. (laughs) Um, So quitting prematurely, even if you're feeling horrible, should should probably be out of the question. Now, of course, there's um, exceptions to that, and you need to think about it hard and then let your crew members or your pacers know, you know, and set realistic expectations and make sure everybody's kind of on the same page um, so that they know when it's really time to, to pull you out for your own safety and so that they don't feel bad pulling you out you know you guys come to some terms something that's agreeable to to everyone um, on when you may need to stop or if um, conversely if you're the type of person that kind of wants to give up easily and needs a little encouragement let them know that too because um, they can definitely provide that for you uh, in your time of need so I'm sorry I'm watching this uh, show on TV it's the hot ones where the contestants eat hot wings and try to answer questions it's highly distracting so I'm going to try not to pay attention to it I did have it on um, uh, Homestead Rescue um, with the rainy family, but that went off, and then for some reason, I guess the algorithms had pegged me. It's um, put it on this hot ones show, <laughs> and so now uh, these people are eating hot wings and being in a lot of pain. So um, hopefully, they've got a good crew and um, good pacers. But besides good people to bring with you to keep you company um, and to keep you uh, on the right course you'll need the right gear now when I say you'll need the right gear please don't go out and buy everything that I'm about to say Um, first I'd like to start off by saying get gear that works for you so don't spend an exorbitant amount of money um, that you may not have on some particular brand or uh, some particular thing just because somebody else has it or you saw it in a magazine or um, you just really want it. I mean, if you're 
if you have a lot of disposable income and you can do that, then more power to you. But um, running, basically all you need are shoes and shorts and, um, you know, I guess a top is optional. Um, and that's basically it. And you can, you can go for it. A water bottle. Yeah, you definitely want to hydrate. But um, anything that you're building off of that is kind of uh, extra. And so that being said, when you're going into an ultra event, you will need some extra. So you will definitely have to build off of that because if you only take um, shorts and a top and you know socks and shoes and a water bottle, um, you're going to be refilling your water bottle a lot and you're probably going to get cold. And so... Um, just building off of that. So at a minimum, you need to have your shoes. You need to have a comfortable pair of socks. And so I know I just said don't go out and buy everything that I I wear or that somebody else wears or has or whatever. But I am going to just tell you what has worked for me. And so I'm the type of person that if I find something that works for me, I just kind of use that thing indefinitely i'm not real big on like trying to switch brands like every once in a while i'll try something new but for the most part um i just stick with what i have so if you've listened to this podcast at all before you know that i wear ultras almost exclusively a l t r a that's my shoe i like it because of the wider toe box um and you probably have heard me talk about balega socks before B-A-L-E-G-A. Um, so those socks and those shoes are what I wear. And I've worn all different um, models of Ultras. The ones that I'm currently wearing are the Temps. And I forget what what version they are. But those are my current shoes. Current socks are Belegas. And I like to get them thick. Uh, you know, the ones that are cushioned specifically for, um, like running or hiking and, um, they have the blister prevention. They're advertised as preventing blisters. So I like to get those. Um, another sock that I, I wore before that I liked were Thorlo, T-H-O-R-L-O. Thorlo make pretty good socks. Um, you just got to get the ones that are for running because they make all different kinds. Um, but yeah, so Thorlo, Belega, um, Ultras. And that I've not been able to go wrong with, with those. Uh, I will say for ultra running, especially if you're going to be doing like 50 miles or 100 miles, so it may be wise to actually build on... Um, your gear and have an extra pair of shoes that you bring to a longer ultra event. So I don't, but I have wished that I did. So I'm just saying it may be beneficial to have a second pair of shoes ready to go in case the first one gets, gets too soggy or, um, uh, over time, you know, 
you're going like 50 or 100 miles and the phone gets uh, compacted and just doesn't have ample time to kind of rebound and, and um, soften back up. No air can get back inside because you're pounding it. So uh, maybe a second pair of shoes, definitely multiple pairs of socks. Like I can't emphasize that enough. Bring, you know, some some different pair of socks. Now, you don't necessarily need to bring those on your person. Have them in um, a bag, a drop bag that you can leave um, along the course and then use uh, as needed or leave them with your crew so that you can change socks um, at least a couple times during your uh, event. Uh, while we're talking about feet, I would say another thing that you could probably add to your gear list is a uh, bag bomb. So some people like to use Vaseline. Um, you could do that. I've heard of people using diaper cream. Um, I've never seen that, but I've heard people use it. I, I have not. Um, so bag bomb worked pretty well for me. Um, Vaseline's worked pretty well for me. Uh, what's this stuff? Body Glide. I don't, I don't use because, uh, to me, Body Glide just seems like, um, a well-marketed, uh, thing that I don't necessarily need. I can probably get the same benefit out of, um, just some Vaseline or, uh, some Body Glide. And I think, like, per volume, those two things are cheaper. And if you're in an ultra event, you're probably going to want to slather on that stuff and not just have like a thin layer of like deodorant style um, lubrication. But uh, it's all personal preference and totally up to you. But I would recommend some kind of lubrication and you can put that all over your feet um, in between your toes to keep them to keep the friction from uh, creating blisters uh, in between your toes and even on the soles of your feet. So we got shoes, we got socks, we got, oh well, we got maybe multiple pairs of shoes. We got definitely multiple pairs of socks. I would say at least three or four pairs of socks. Um, not necessarily on your person, left with your crew or in a drop bag somewhere for later. Um, so moving on up, I don't, I don't personally recommend the, um, like, uh, compression, like the calf, I forgot what they're called, but they, they just go over your calf. Uh, I even forget who the manufacturers are. I've, I've had some of these to me, my legs hurt more when I wear them, um, but that's just me. I, I, I file those under uh, frivolous items that you don't need to waste your money on. Because I think no matter what, during an ultra event, your legs are going to get trashed. So having those or not, I don't know if you're really getting that much benefit out of having um, your calf muscles compacted and and supposedly i guess those things keep your calf from 
uh, jostling around, but I don't, I just don't know. I think a hundred miles of anything is just going to tear you up no matter what you got on your legs. So I would say a good pair of socks, no need for those calf guards or whatever they're called. Um, compression pants, uh, I don't know, take them or leave them. I actually bought, uh, some compression shorts, uh, uh, I think they were CWX. I think that was the manufacturer. But so they had like this uh, seam. It was kind of like a cross seam. So it kind of went horizontally and uh, vertically, I guess, across the crotch of these pants. And so I wore these things uh during some longer runs and I ended up getting the worst shaping of my life. So these things were pretty expensive for a pair of uh, compression sh- shorts or whatever. Uh, and they ended up like causing me an excruciating pain. So I would say just based off of my experience for me, those are unnecessary. Uh, shorts, are all that I have worn in all the ultra and non-ultra events that I've done. I don't live in a cold environment, and even when I did live in environments with all the seasons, I I very rarely wore any kind of long pants to run in. Um, I like to wear a couple different brands of shorts, so there's a particular short by Patagonia called the Strider Pro, I believe. And I have several pairs of the 5-inch inseam model. I like those shorts. The only issue with them is that over time, the um, elasticity in the waistband kind of uh, goes to nil. And so you're keeping you have to keep them up by tying the drawstring tight and so the whole short is hanging off of your drawstring and that can cause chafing and um, it's also very uncomfortable when you get sweaty uh, the shorts begin to slip down and um, especially if you got anything in the pockets of them Um, but when they were new they're really great. I liked them. They're comfortable. The fabric is qu- very quick drying um, and very resilient. Uh, resists tearing. So perfect for trail running. Um, multiple pockets uh, in the front where you can reach them and then one zipper pocket in the back where you could put keys or, or something that you don't want to um, have fall out, valuables, whatnot. So I had several pairs of those, and then I also had um, some Asics that are similar in build, um, different fabric, uh, different construction on the drawstring. Those shorts have outlasted the Patagonia as far as like the waistband elasticity, and even without the drawstring in one pair of those, I got two identical pairs of the Asics. Um, trail shorts even without the drawstring they still stay up fine and they're a lot more comfortable so if you can find them good luck I can't find them anymore but they're 
um, ASICs, and they're also five inch inseam. They got pockets on the front. I think just two pockets like up around the waistband um, that you can put stuff in, like uh, you know, nutrition or uh, whatever. Sometimes I carry a knife in one of the pockets. It's deep enough to to actually get um, a small knife in there. Uh, and it, those two have a zipper pocket in the back. Um, so those are the shorts that I like to wear. The ASICs and the um, Strider Pro Patagonia shorts. You don't necessarily have to have those. Just find some shorts that you can wear for an extended amount of time that will not give you chafing around the waistband and um, between the legs. I don't know how else to put it. So um, you can overcome some of that with putting uh, bag balm or um, Vaseline. They sell both of those things at CVS, by the way. Um, most pharmacies would have both of those things. Uh, you can overcome some chafing by slathering on uh, some kind of lubricant, um, petroleum-based lubricant, but um, eventually if you've got crappy clothes on that <laughs> weren't well designed, they're going to chafe you no matter what. So um, find something that works and buy a couple, five pairs of those shorts, you know. Um, for shirts... I generally do not wear shirts for training purposes, but for the actual events themselves, I do wear shirts, and it's it's your discretion whether you want to wear a long sleeve or short sleeve or um, a heavy shirt, a lightweight shirt. Uh, you want to watch out for chafing again, especially in the chest. Um, I don't know how it works for women, but I know for guys, uh, your nipples will get chafed. They will bleed if you have certain types of uh, fabrics. Like there's certain, um, uh, what do you call them? They're not natural fabrics. Uh, synthetics, sorry, I'm blanking. Uh, there's certain synthetics, and you kind of know... When you feel them, they're just a little bit rough. Like you want to definitely have something that's a little bit silky uh, feeling if, to be wearing for long periods of time. Because whatever it is, it's going to rub you. So you can counter that by, again, putting bag balm or Vaseline on those areas. You can put tape over them, but, you know, the tape can fall off. The Vaseline bag balm can, can wear out. Uh, so yeah, just be mindful of that when you're selecting shirts. And like I say, if you find something that does work, you may want to get a couple of them, you know, just to to have and hold. Because all the time, stuff that you, that I like gets discontinued or it becomes very hard to find and very expensive on Amazon or uh, eBay. So if you find something you like, just, you know get a couple of them for later uh also if you're going to train with any frequency which you're going to need to train with some frequency 
um, we're talking like a little bit of something every day if you're training for a ultra marathon event um, you're going to want to have multiple pairs of shorts and multiple shirts if you choose to wear them just so that you can have a clean pair to train in every day you don't have to worry about washing stuff over and over and over again um, but for the actual event itself I would recommend to have you know at least one or two extra pairs of shorts in addition to the ones that you're wearing and then um, maybe a couple extra shirts to change into uh, for the arms I don't really care anything about those arm sleeves I don't know if they do anything or don't they probably have some they give some protection from the sun I've never worn them I've been fine sunscreen tends to work um, for me you may be different you can try them if you like them by all means use them but it's not they're not I don't think they're a performance enhancer uh, I don't think that they will do much for your aerodynamics or anything like that so I would personally I would follow those under um, another waste of my dollars but um, one thing that is important is some type of hydration vest so I guess there's two schools of thought here when you wear a vest and you carry all of your stuff on your person had to break again so I'm back um, I think I was talking about hydration vests so for hydration vests it's there's I guess varying schools of thought um, on the one hand the more water you have on your back and the more gear you have on your back uh, the heavier you are so I want to say that each pound that you have on your person um, just overall I, I think it adds oh I think it adds mm, I don't want to say a number but I know it, it definitely adds time to your <laughs> to each mile that you run uh, I just I can't remember exactly what the the stat was but um, so there's there's definitely a disadvantage to carrying more weight on your person uh, over a distance than there is just to go more minimalistic and um, maybe only have like a couple of handheld water bottles so I mean figure out what works best for you notice that I only mentioned hydration vests I didn't really mention the um, whatever you would call them hydration fanny packs I guess I have tried things around my waist and maybe I just didn't find the right one but uh, things that are belt like that go around my waist I you know the hip movement uh, they get jostled around stuff falls out I end up getting chafed or some kind of other discomfort from having this belt um, right in that waist area bouncing up and down repeatedly so I just kinda eh I steer clear of uh, waist um, 
type packs or, or belts or whatever I definitely prefer a vest um, I don't think that a backpack type of pack like I mean full-on like you would take to school or you might take on a hike uh, don't get one of those uh, what I use is the uh, Solomon packs and they have different they call them sets so depending on the number of pockets that they have on them they'll be called something different so I think what I have are the 12 sets I think that's all I've ever had was the 12 set type vest I've had I have a couple of different well, I take that back I think I may have one that's like a uh I think it's a 15 set I might be totally wrong it's bigger than uh the others um it's more for like a kind of a multi-day type event it's got way more room in the main compartment but so the reason that I like the Solomon is because it's it's very elastic so you can stuff it with things and it will kind of uh, push out to kind of accommodate more things squished into it so I kind of like that um, lots of pockets lots of zippers and then it's got like the side pockets where it's not um, zipped on the top you can just push things in and you can pull them out um, when you need them and pretty well engineered to where you can reach most items um, with the pack still on your back so that's a plus and not having to remove the, the pack whenever you need to get things out of it uh, these are things that you should think of when you're deciding on a pack or if you want a pack or not I will say that anything that you have um, on your person clothing wise or pack wise always has the potential to cause uh, discomfort chafing it's going to add more weight to you um, you're definitely going to sweat uh, more with these things on than without them so that's something to think about but um, the utility and having the pack especially in runs where you're, you're like training runs and you're doing long distance I mean it's kind of obvious but you can take more food with you you can take more water with you um, you do have that kind of um, you do have something around your upper um, body so you're retaining heat which may be a good thing or a bad thing depending on what the the ambient air temperature is um, outside so you could give yourself some premature heat exhaustion or um, if it's colder out you may actually be um, I don't want to say staving off hypothermia because I hope that you're not running um, in that little uh, or that unprepared um, clothing wise to where you would be having hypothermia without your pack like I hope you're not relying on a pack to to keep you um, your body temperature normal but um, if if you were <laughs> then at least you would have some line of defense something around your body retaining some amount of uh, body heat 
but that's not specifically what the pack's designed for. Most of all, just think of this as um, something that you want to have as light as possible, as comfortable as possible. Um, you don't want it to shift around, like, you know, up and down and side to side because that's going to cause uh, chafing. It's going to be uncomfortable and annoying for you as well. So get something that fits good and that you can keep everything that you need. Notice I said need, not want or um yeah everything that you need goes in the pack everything else leave it at home so we're talking food hydration um survival type stuff um so yeah i guess that's a so brand wise i mentioned solomon that's just what has worked for me like i say i'm not that adventurous um with i find something that works well for me and I tend to stick with it. Solomon is a bit pricey. Um, they're a little bit more pricier than even some brands that are almost comparable in like features and, and things. So um, you may be able to find something better. Like I know, I, I know only a couple of manufacturers. They're, I think they're, um, Nathan is another. Um, Osprey makes some packs. I actually had an Osprey hydration pack that I used um, at one point, and it was okay. But I definitely prefer the the Solomon. Um, that was just kind of my my jam. Um, I'm trying to think what's the. There's others. There's others, and you'll see all different kinds if you go to an ultra event. You can kind of like um, let your mind go wild. Research it a little bit, see what you think might work well for you, test them out. Um, and uh, yeah, personal preference. You don't have to like get everything that I'm saying that I use. It doesn't, I mean, I'm not even that great of a ultra runner. Like my, my times are nothing to um, uh, be proud of, I guess. <laughs> Like I'm just there just to do the thing and um, and get through it and uh, yeah. Uh, so you do also have the option of having no pack at all if you're in um, an event where you have a crew and there's plenty of aid stations. You may find that you don't need that extra weight on your back and there's no reason to have it if there's going to be enough. Um, enough support otherwise so but you're you're gambling a lot with that um you want to make sure you want to be certain <laughs> that all those aid stations are going to have stuff that you can eat um that will help you that you've eaten before on long runs uh and it hasn't affected you adversely um you're going to want to make sure like any hydration mixes or nutrition mixes that they may have there or what you're familiar with and what you use like i'm not saying just decide that because you don't have a pack or you don't want a pack you're just going to be totally reliant on um, aid stations for everything because part of being prepared is kind of uh, preparing for uh, worst case scenario so i've been to events where the aid stations were well stocked and there was more food there than than I needed, um, 
and then I've been to events where some of the aid stations were just like water jugs in the middle of nowhere um, and you just filled up your water and then they had like a bottle of like salt capsules <laughs> so you could get a salt capsule in the same bottle that everybody else's hand had been in <laughs> so I mean it's it's gonna vary so you you may want to have a pack anyway just so you can make sure that you have all of the the stuff that you need on hand, the stuff that you're familiar with. Because um, if you're going to go crazy and try new things on um, your race day, um, you may be in for a rude surprise um, if those things don't agree with you. So uh, I guess now's a good time to say all the things that we've covered up to this point, all the things that we'll cover ongoing so like shoes socks shorts shirt pack food anything that you're putting inside of your pack you need to make sure that you've used those things um, a lot during your training which should be happening a lot almost daily um, for training leading up to an ultra event uh, you want to make sure that you've used those things before. Don't go to the store and see some kind of uh, new uh, protein supplement or, or some new shoes or, or something and then buy that and then use it for the first time, the first or second time during your actual event. That's not a good idea. You want to make sure that you've tested everything, you've taking it to the proving grounds and um, not only because it could affect you adversely but why bring stuff that you don't need to the party so a lot of times you're so confused anyway after you've run all night you're trying to fish around in your gear at the uh, uh, aid station or uh, you know your drop bag or whatever you don't want to have a bunch of extra stuff in there to, to fish through. You just need to have what you need and that's it. Because you're going to be so confused anyway. Um, and your poor crew, if you have them, they're going to be wondering what all that stuff is. And it's best just to have what you need and nothing more. Make sure you've tried everything and you know it works for you um, beforehand. Shoes especially. New shoes tend to need to get worn in a little bit um, before they actually hit that sweet spot where they're really comfortable and suitable for a long distance run. Uh, some brands and models are going to take a shorter amount of time to hit that sweet spot than others, but you need to, you know, make sure they're at that sweet spot before you take off on your run so or on your big event. Um, break those suckers in uh, for shoes too when you have running shoes my suggestion is that you use those shoes only for running so in other words you put them on to go on your runs when you get home you take them off you don't wear them again until you're going running again so like I don't wear them to the store I don't wear them to work. Those are running shoes just for running. Um, you 
don't so not wearing them all the time keeps them um, theoretically from the density of the foam from becoming compacted uh, through just like normal walking and standing um, over time that's what really kind of uh, expires a pair of shoes is that foam is no longer resilient and it's just compacted to the max and it's just there's no rebound so that's when you need to replace the shoes so you want to make sure uh, only use them when you absolutely need them and uh, that's only when you're running and then just leave them whenever you're not get another pair of shoes to wear to work or whatever um yeah so packs you want to make sure too that they'll hold uh, adequate amount of hydration if that's going to be your thing um so the packs that i have currently i'll carry one liter in the back and that's connected to kind of like a hose type straw that wraps around to the the front and then um I've got two soft flasks that carry 500 mils each, and I wear those on, in pockets on each side of the vest. So, um, total of two liters of water. Uh, and so now with water, I believe the math goes, your body can, um, is it metabolize? I guess that's the right word. Your body can process one liter of water per hour but it can um, expel two liters of water per hour so you want to make sure that you have plenty of water first of all um, secondly for me and this may not be right for you again test this before you go on your big race um, for me I don't drink straight water uh, when I'm doing an event or when I'm doing long runs, I will mix in um, Scratch. That's my hydration powder of choice. I mix that in according to the instructions on the packaging um, to all of my water. So I just don't drink plain water. I like to replace all of the electrolytes that I'm using up and also get a little shot of energy from the sugar that's in the scratch. Now, they <laughs> have designed scratch to where it, for me at least, and I think for most other people is why it's so popular, um, it doesn't have enough sugar to give you that crash. It's got just enough to kind of get you, keep you going, um, but it's a consistent going. It's not a bring you way up and then crash you down. And so, um, you can hear my dog howling, sorry. Um, scratch hydration mix in all of my water. And even, I said long runs in my um, events, but even on my daily runs too, I'll put it in. Um, I just keep some in my truck and a couple jugs of, of water too. Um, what else? What else? What else? Okay. Uh, if you're going to an event or if you're going out in the woods for training or, or whatever, you want to make sure that you're oriented. So 
Um, take a map, take a compass if you need that. Um, if you've got some kind of feature on your watch, GPS, or, um, you know, like a back to start, those are good things to have too. Now, you don't need to go out and necessarily buy uh, some kind of smartwatch or Garmin uh, or, or um, uh, Sunto or some high-end watch you you know people were doing ultra marathons and you know marathons and other kind of running and other kind of hiking and outdoors activities a long time before uh gps uh, especially gps that you wear on your wrist so while it's cool and if you've got the means i would definitely recommend um having you know, a watch that's got GPS features and is able to get you back to your vehicle in a jam. Um, you don't have to have that if you know how to orient and um, use a map. So you can take a topographical map with you. Uh, you can take a compass with you. You can use those tools if you need to. A lot of times if you're running on trails, especially if they're um, if they're maintained you're not going to probably need those things because usually the trail will kind of um, clue you in as to where to go and eventually you'll just turn around and go back the other way but um, you always want to have some level of familiarity with the area that you're going to be in whether it's uh, training or whether it's uh, an actual event like don't just go out there and try to wing it you always want to have some kind of navigational aid even if it's just a hand-drawn uh, map but preferably some kind of uh, compass some kind of topographical map that's uh, fairly recent up to date if you've got the GPS great if you have a cell phone you need to take that with you in some sort of um, bag that will keep water off of it. They sell all kinds of um, these waterproof packages for phones. Um, get one of those. Keep your phone with you. Uh, you don't necessarily need to have the phone on all the time. You can save the battery. Just turn it off and just have it with you in case of emergency. Believe it or not, Taking a picture of everything is not mandatory. Um, sometimes you can just leave things in your mind and that can just be uh, a memory for you and you don't have to share it with everybody else. It's okay. It's not selfish. Um, especially when your safety um, is at stake. So make sure you do keep a cell phone if you got one. Uh, I don't go out without mine for long runs I always have my cell phone with me um, for short stuff like during the week like seven mile or whatever I won't have it with me most of the time um, just because I don't want to break it and I figure the probability with me going almost every day to, to run uh, I would probably drop it and break it at some point um, so I usually just keep it on my long runs when I can pack it 
safely into my vest and I've got it in a waterproof container plus that is um, clipped to my bag in case somehow it pops out um, it will still be clipped onto my bag and it can't fall to the ground and bust the screen into a million pieces um, I do have a watch the watch that I have is uh, a Garmin 9.45 and that does have GPS and it will get me back to start if I need it I've had um, I've had to use back to start actually pretty recently um, and I use back to start features on my 920 XT which is what I had before this one um, and that actually may have uh, I hate to be melodramatic, but it may have saved my life. I was on the top of, um, well, I wasn't on the top. I was on the side of <laughs> Mount Aloha, and it had gotten dark, and it was raining. The clouds had moved in, so if you're on the side of Mount Aloha, like, I, th I think I was like at eight or 9,000 feet, and so the clouds were also at eight or 9,000 feet, so I could only see... Um, basically my hand in front of my face and not too much farther so even though I had a headlamp um, everything basically looked the same and the problem with uh, the terrain up there is that at night all of it looks the same and because the moisture condenses and you know the rains will fall um, it creates uh, streams of water and so those streams of water cut paths and so those paths are indiscernible from the uh, the actual true trail. Uh, so I had to use my back to start to get me back to my truck. I don't know how I would have made it back otherwise. There were times where, um, so on the way up, I went through one set of, um, or not set, but I went through one cattle gate cattle fence and it was through um, the gate which opened and closed awesome um, just like you would normally think <laughs> a fence and a gate would work on the way back down I was using back to start but it was taking me from point A to B the quickest route down to my truck which is exactly what I wanted because I'll just be honest with you I was a little bit terrified at that point with the weather moving in it being dark me on the side of this mountain um, and then even when I got back to my truck, it was going to be another six mile drive, uh, down to the bottom of this, uh, down to the bottom of Mount Aloha and back onto the highway. Um, you know, so God forbid something happened. Um, and I was all alone at this point too, but, uh, I managed to get back to my truck just because I had this back to start feature, um, my phone and it took me so like I say going up the mountain was one gate going back down the mountain I climbed over probably the same cattle fence um, four times and so each time it was dangerous because all of that the cattle fence is taut wire so if any of that wire snaps um, it could easily um, you know, cut my inner thigh, sever my femoral. Again, I'm being a, maybe a little melodramatic, but 
you always have to think about these things uh, because sometimes Murphy's Law kicks in and, you know, that's it. That's how people get lost and how people disappear and um, how people get killed, unfortunately. Uh, so, yeah, I'll say all of that to say, you know, I have actually used this tool. It did, it did help me quite a bit. I would have probably made it back to my truck, but I may have not made it back in very good shape. Um, and I may have not made it back to my truck that night. Cause like I say, I was crawl, I was going over cattle fence. I was crawling through, um, underbrush, like just to get back in a straight line to, to my truck. So, and I don't think I ever found true trail during the course of that whole thing. Cause it was just too foggy and, and all. So, I mean, um, I'm not saying that you need to necessarily go out and get that. You, you could exercise common sense, uh, which is something I obviously didn't. And you could put yourself out on that mountain, um, in the morning time when there's no risk of it being dark, <laughs> that would be probably a better alternative, um, to what I did, which was go in the, the mid afternoon and be up there until dark. So, uh, I guess the lesson is most important tool is your brain and a little bit of forethought, knowing the terrain, um, and then using common sense, if you're just on your training run. Now, if you're out on an event, like a, a, a hundred mile ultra marathon, you're going to be out in the dark and there's nothing you can do about it. And so, um, you do need to train for that. So being out in the dark during your training, you know, you may want to do that. It probably will come in helpful. Um, if your first time being in the dark in the middle of the woods with all a bunch of natural predators and um all the things that go bump in the night if that's your first time um it's going to be a little bit of shock to your system and those kind of shocks to your system are things that you don't need when you're already tired and you're already thinking um that your legs hurt or, or whatever those are the kind of things that can push you um to want to quit so you need to condition yourself um to that environment so that you're not surprised when uh, you have to take it on in real life. All right. So I think I've beaten the, the watch and cell phone thing into the ground. Have them if you can. Um, I would say have the watch if you can, the phone definitely want to have that. Um, be aware that, in I think most places, if you don't have enough signal to make a emergency phone call, you can do text to 911. Um, if you're in the United States, I'm not sure how it works in other countries, but there may be similar systems set up. So check on that. Know that kind of information before you go out to the cell phone. I would definitely have um, the watch with the GPS functionality, like back to start and stuff like that would be a, a definite, um, advantage. There are some other electronics that you can buy that will, um, they work off satellites. And so you can communicate 
via satellite instead of uh, cellular. Uh, Garmin makes some. There's other companies that make these, and the names of them escape me, but these are just... Uh, they're small enough to be, you know, like a personal kind of... Um, not beacon, but a device that will... Um, allow you to communicate via satellite signal. So there's additional subscription involved with these. Um, some of them, I think, charge a base uh, price per month. And then also every single, I think you, I think, okay. So I'm obviously in uh, territory that I know not that much about. But so I think you pay uh, a base rate for a certain number of um, messages, and then if you go over that, it's additional um, amount. Or maybe it's that you just pay for the service, and then each message costs additional. Either way, point being, they're kind of expensive, but um, you're talking about life or death and the ability to use uh, satellite communications, which are uh, more reliable than cellular in some spots may be advantageous to you um, to have one of those devices. I do not uh, personally, if money weren't an issue, I probably would because I'm the type of person that agonizes over things like that and it might make me feel better. Um, you don't have to have them to go on a long run you can just take another person or two uh, if you can find somebody that's willing to go with you and that will not help you if you're lost but if something happens and you need to be uh, medevaced or, or whatever at least you have other people that can get to uh, help or a place where there's uh, sufficient signal to make a phone call um, so yeah, I'm rambling, um, electronics good, um, I'm going to move on, uh, headlamp, you're going to want to have a headlamp, or wait, let's just, before we talk about headlamps, let's talk about first aid, so first aid for you on ultra event, on the event itself, I would keep it as minimal as possible. Keep your bulky items with your crew um, or in your drop bags. So you're going to want to have with you some type of blister care kit. So I would recommend to have bag balm, Vaseline for blister prevention. Um, obviously some kind of uh, nice thick sock um, that is blister preventative. Um, that will help with your shoes. Make sure that they're big enough for all your toes to fit and all your toes to splay out and still have enough room. Be mindful that your foot is going to fill up with blood and fluid uh, as you're running this event and your foot's going to get bigger. So you may actually want to get a half size to a full size bigger shoe to wear during a 50 mile or 100 mile event. Um, this is all dependent on you and your 
your body and personal preference as well. Um, but so it only makes sense that the bigger your foot is, the more squeezed together everything is, the more likely you're going to have blisters. So just make sure you have plenty of room. Make sure you have plenty thick sock uh, or, or that your sock is thick enough. Blister preventative, some kind of lubrication in between the toes and on the soles of your feet even may help to stave off blisters. So in the event that you do get blisters, you may want to have a small kit um, with a sterile needle to puncture the blister and let the fluid escape um, and maybe some moleskin. And so to cut the moleskin, you'll need a small pair of scissors. Now, do you have to carry that on your person at all times? Probably not. You can probably leave that kit with your crew. Um, just so you know, to properly treat a blister, you can, you can leave the fluid in it, um, but it's probably going to be more comfortable to just go ahead with that sterile needle and just poke along the edges, let the fluid out. Don't peel off any of the skin, like over the bulk of the blister. Let that sit and um, more than likely if you're if you've got a long way to go you're gonna get blistered up again. There I've gotten blisters and then underneath that blister had another blister and another blister underneath that. So you can have multiple layers of blisters um, just so you know that's goes back to that brain thing. Um, you need to prepare your mind to be comfortable in uh, extreme discomfort. Learn how to dissociate and distance yourself um, from your agony and uh, make it through. But um, proper treatment in a blister is, if you can, a sterile needle. You don't want to contaminate the inside of the blister area. You don't want it to start getting infected. So sterile needle for sure, clean the area with betadine or alcohol, poke along the sides, let some fluid out, let it sit for, um, a, you know, like a day or two until it dries out. And then after that, you, you can maybe take off the skin and everything underneath should be dry by that point. But like during the event, if you can, just leave it alone. If you need to get the fluid out, same process, just sterile needle. Um, and then be mindful that you probably will get more blisters as you keep going. Um, I would say just continuously apply Vaseline or um, bag balm to your feet. It's a hassle to have to do it, but it's a lot less hassle than... Um, or to have to do it repeatedly, but it's a lot less hassle than having a huge blister over your whole bottom of your foot. Um, uh, what was I going to say? You can use moleskin. Uh, I'm not sure how effective it's going to it's going to be. I have not. I've always had moleskin. I've never taken the time to actually use it. So maybe I should shut my mouth until I've actually tried it. But um, moleskin, sterile needle some kind of betadine or if you're allergic to shellfish uh, uh, alcohol 
or um, some kind of antiseptic and uh, yeah like I said moleskin already <laughs> so uh, blister kit is a definite must have um, and your some kind of bag balm Vaseline that is about all you should probably carry on your person if you're going to carry anything on your person um, you may carry like an ace bandage as well like something elastic I always have a handkerchief with me too just tied onto my vest you can do a lot with handkerchiefs so again being melodramatic but if it ever came down to it you can make a tourniquet out of a handkerchief you can also use the handkerchief for uh, dressing so I always carry one on me because it has multiple uses you can use it for a sweatband you know whatever um, for your actual first aid kit you just decide what you think you will need I can tell you the most common injury that I've had are big old blisters on my feet um, and usually there will be some kind of medical personnel on uh, standby at ultra events um, but you may bring your own medical kit if if you want to don't carry it all on your person though that's no need um, even your blister kit you're probably not going to stop and treat blisters yourself you're probably going to want to have crew or somebody do that for you uh, let's see mylar blanket I guess that's technically a first aid item carry your mylar blanket you can use it to keep heat on your body um, you can use it to keep rain and stuff off of you uh, you could use it to shelter you can use the reflective surface to signal for help if you're in a emergency situation you can use it for an occlusive um, bandage uh, there's a lot of things that you could use it for I the last time I used mine in an ultra I wrapped it around myself and ran with it around me all night <laughs> because I I was soaking wet with sweat and it was a little bit chilly and I just used it to keep warm and also uh, to feel secure it was kind of my security blanket because there were a lot of uh, bobcats around and um, I was totally alone in the dark for however many hours six or eight hours <laughs> during the night so it made me feel better one way or the other but yeah mylar blanket I don't leave on long runs without one um, because you can technically become or, or re literally become hypothermic um, even if it's not below zero or, or whatever outside uh, even in Hawaii you can become hypothermic very easily if you're covered with sweat and there's a lot of uh, convection there's wind blowing and your body cools down too much um, you know you can get in a risky situation so I always carry the, the mylar blanket and then too in Hawaii it gets cold um, at night so it'll drop down into the 50s I don't think I've ever seen in the 40s but, <laughs> but yeah I've definitely seen in the 50s um, maybe up on the up on the mountain 
it it would no joke because it snows um, in the higher elevations so but anywhere I go long run wise or I'm going remote uh, I'm going to take a mylar blanket just because it has so many uses um, other than that you can carry some band-aids and stuff if you want to uh, medical, not medical tape, but sports tape is a good thing to have on your person. But remember, you don't want to carry too much. You don't want to go overboard. Just carry what you need. Don't carry like a whole uh, family size first aid kit or even one of those uh, personal first aid kits. You know, those might be overkill. Um, keep it lightweight and just have what you need. Uh, so yeah, headlamps. Take two. Uh, if you have a headlamp that uses batteries, take extra batteries. If you have a headlamp that recharges, then you need to invest in one of those um, battery packs that will recharge devices. Take that. Maybe you don't have to have it on your person the whole time, but have it handy with your crew so that if you do need it, um, they can charge your headlamp and then you can use your um, second headlamp while your primary is being recharged. I would recommend if you're doing a 100 miler, 100 miler, you're, unless you're just really, really fast, which some people are, um, you're probably going to be in the dark at least twice. So in the morning time when you start, and then in the evening time, uh, well, actually the evening, night, and early morning the next day. So you're going to want to have a headlamp with recharged batteries. But even the best headlamps sometimes choose not to work so you want to have a secondary um, to fall back on just in case because otherwise um, a lot of ultra events they're they take place in the middle of nowhere so you're alone in the dark with no headlamp you can use your cell phone flashlight for whatever good that's worth but you know if you've got a good 10 or 14 miles between the hate stations that's not going to be very comforting um, relying on your cell phone. So headlamps, take them. Uh, one thing about headlamps that I'll go ahead and mention, um, this was something that was taught to me by one of my mentors uh, who taught me a lot in the short time that I knew him. Uh, I haven't talked to him for a long time, and I... I don't really know how to contact him anymore, but um, this guy, he taught me a lot um, through just a couple of runs that I did with him. He showed me kind of like all his little secrets, and I've used those little secrets, and they've helped me tremendously. So one of his um, tips was with headlamps. You can wear it on your head, but sometimes you get um, better depth of vision if you hold the headlamp in your hand while you run uh, because what tends to happen when you're wearing it on your head if you're running through grass or um, even if you're running on trail with rocks sticking up 
it tends to, if your light's shining down from your head, it tends to flatten that surface and make it more two-dimensional. So you're not able to gauge, you know, like bumps or dips. Um, it, it's hard to explain, but uh, if you hold it in your hand, like at waist level while you run, the shadows um, create depth. So you can see rocks sticking up. You can see um, tree stumps. The grass looks different as you run through it. Um, it just helps with your depth of vision to hold that headlamp in your hand. Now, it doesn't look as cool as if you're just wearing it on your head. It may be irritating to hold it in your hand. I've never had a problem with it, but that's my recommendation. That's something that um, this mentor taught to me. It's advice that I use, um, and it, it works for me. Uh, another thing about handkerchiefs, you in first aid and whatnot, this was another secret that my mentor uh, taught to me, a little tip. Always take a washcloth with you because if you can find a source of relatively clean water, like a stream uh, or something like that, splashing water on your face and actually getting some cold water into a washcloth and kind of like washing your face off and um, bringing that out on different parts of your body, you know, like your uh, armpits, the back of your neck, um, cools you off. The other thing, I guess there's a physiological thing that happens whenever you splash water on your face, it kind of like wakes you up. And even if you're really, really tired, just that act of alone will kind of, um, it doesn't totally reset you, but it, it resets you a little bit. So it can give you just a little bit more uh, positive outlook, like a, um, um, make you feel a little better, right? Um, because normally it probably wouldn't be that big a deal, but when you're feeling as horrible as you often will be during an ultra event, um, just that little bit of, you know, getting that nasty sweat off of your face can be a lot, you know, um, so take a washcloth with you and use that thing, get some water in it, wash your face off at the stream. I know it's not earth shattering, but some people like me, when they first start out, they think you're just supposed to run as fast as you can for 100 miles and then don't stop and then don't do anything except focus on running and taking a bunch of supplements and, um, you know, being <laughs> as fast as you can, which will work maybe for, it works, it does work for some people, but um, for me, not, not so much. Um, there's actually the human element of this where I have to pay attention to uh, my body and take care of myself. So I would say that most people are not dissimilar to, to me, and these little tips will help. Um, also, another tip, going back to the Mylar blanket, um, you know, people do stop during ultra marathons and take little power naps if you want to call them that just to reset so i'm not talking about a two-hour uh 
session of beauty sleep or anything like that. I'm talking about like max five to seven minutes. Just enough to kind of get down and close your eyes, not fall all the way asleep, but just kind of rest for about five to seven minutes. All right. And I'm not talking about you're doing this five to 10 times, like maybe once or twice during a whole 100-mile event, you might do this. Uh, you better not be doing this in a 50-miler. You better stop with that. And most certainly not during a 50K. Uh, but if you're doing a 100-miler or more, you may have to stop a couple times just to reset your body. Now, I, you can use your mylar blanket to put on the ground and kind of keep heat on yourself, wrap it around you. That way, you stop moving. Your body's going to want to cool down. Keep that mylar blanket around you to keep your body heat up so you don't freeze to death um, while you're laying on the ground. Plus, you kind of have a small, thin, but it is a barrier between you and whatever is on the ground. Could be fire ants or <laughs> whatever, uh, spiders, I don't know. But um, So another reason to take that mylar blanket with you, but... Uh, going back to the nap thing, again, no more than five to seven minutes, okay? I mean it. Because anything more than that, uh, number one, you're taking up your time, and you're going to need that. Uh, 100 miles is a long way to go. Uh, you don't want to waste it not moving. Um, so maximize your time on the ground. Plus, you don't want to fall all the way asleep. Um well, actually, at that point in time, you probably will want to fall all the way asleep. But if you're trying to reach the finish line, you don't want to fall all the way asleep. So, um, but yeah, so mylar blanket, washcloth, and then the headlamps. Hold them in your hand. Now, you may like it on your head. You may like 2D up to you. But I'm just telling you, for me, I usually hold it in my hand. Um... Rain jacket, up to you. I would recommend to bring something, some kind of rain gear, if only to keep heat in. Uh, if you're going to be in higher elevation, it probably is advisable, uh, or, or a cold environment, it is advisable to bring some sort of rain jacket that's seam sealed that will keep heat in. And even if you're sweaty and wet um, underneath, it's going to keep cold rain and wind um, off of your body. So you may want to do that, but then you have to look at the lightweight um, versus the how effective that, that gear is. It's something you'll have to research and figure out on your own. And then sometimes you may not even need to carry that rain gear. So totally up to you. I would recommend to bring it and have it in your drop bag or with your crew just in case um, otherwise you're going to be like me and you're going to be wearing a mylar blanket trying to keep it around you um, the whole night as you're running through the woods <laughs> in the dark by yourself um, let's see walking sticks or not really walking sticks trekking poles I like them. I am getting on up in age and 
I think even for young people, it could be beneficial sometimes, uh, or all the time, going down humongous hills can be very hard on your quads, and that goes for people of any age. Um, there is a tendency to uh, sometimes underestimate how tough some of the terrain is in these trail events. Uh, the last, uh, well, the 100 miler that I did uh, last September, the terrain was brutal. I mean, unforgiving and uh, brutal. Remote, uh, steep inclines, steep descents. And the trekking poles really helped me to maintain balance, um, to actually keep my rhythm going, gave me a little sense of security and kind of helped to balance out um, the effort between my arms and my legs a little bit. So I like trekking poles. Uh, again, those fall into... Um, use them before many times before you actually take them on an event to make sure they're going to hold up to make sure they're going to do what you need to do uh, what you need them to do you don't want to have extra crap just with you um, just adding weight to your pack um, think about how you're going to store them when you're not using them and make sure you get something that will uh, fold up or um, telescope down or, or whatever to where you can store it if you need to. And it won't be too cumbersome. Practice storing it and taking it out, whatever, way before you actually use it in the actual event. Um... Yeah, so, I mean, I think that hits most of the the gear type stuff. When we're talking, um, so a couple other things, sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. So take a hat. If you're like me, you don't have any hair. You need all the extra help you can get. Most of your body heat, I'm sure you've heard, escapes through your head. So you want to have something there to stop that process from happening or slow it down. So make sure you take a hat, even if you got a full head of hair, take a hat anyway, uh, just in case. Sunglasses, protect your eyes from UV rays and from branches that are snapping back towards your face. Uh, I, personally, I like Jolbo, J-U-L-B-O, um, sunglasses. I've got several pairs of those. Are they the best sunglasses in the world no do they have great support um and warranty yes are they pretty darn good for what they cost yes so i use jobo i have not had issues with them other than um like most sunglasses the nose pieces and the parts of the ears piece ear pieces when they get sunscreen on them repeatedly, um, if you don't wash that stuff off, it will kind of deteriorate the rubbery parts of like nose pieces and ear pieces. But that's not 
um, unique to Jobo that happens on other brands too. Um, and that's really my only bugaboo. I love their lenses. The lenses that I have on um, some of mine are transitional. So they have different stages for different levels of light. So I like those. Uh, gloves are optional. Sometimes you have to scramble, uh, you know, up rocky trail, rocky steep trail. You may want to have some gloves or if your hands are cold, you may also want to have gloves for that purpose too. Um, wool is good for warmth. Something with uh, like a reinforced um, palm would be great for scrambling. Bear bell, if you think that will help you carry a bear bell, um, it may make the bears know that you're there, take note of your presence and leave, or it may be like a dinner bell, so up to you. If the race requires, make sure you have one just in case, um, and then wear it. So things I, I wouldn't take are bear mace for running ultras i think that bear mace would probably be cumbersome uh, you probably aren't gonna see a bear unless you're somewhere in grizzly country uh, where the bears are not really afraid of you uh, maybe that's a dumb statement because i think that black bears will actually attack people as well so but I've not seen people carrying bear spray on any of the the events that I've done. Um, even when I did the ultra in Japan, there it was close enough to where the bears would have been awake. They hadn't; they were not hibernating yet. Um, some of them, nobody was carrying bear spray. We just all had on bear bells. And I didn't see any bears during the Georgia Jewel last year. It doesn't mean they weren't there. It doesn't mean that if I did see one that I wouldn't want bear spray. But probably, you know, the weight and cost versus benefit is not that great. Um, so we don't need that. Snake bite kit, you don't need. I don't think those are effective. So don't waste your money and don't. Uh, take up space in your pack for snake bite kits. That's my recommendation. But you know, research it. Do what is comfortable for you. Um, that's pretty much all inclusive gear list. Let's talk about food. Uh, for food, I have found that my go-to is beef jerky. Beef jerky will carry me through most of a 100-miler and through all of a 50K. I can eat exclusively beef jerky and be mostly okay. Um, last year during the 100-miler, I also they had Tailwind. Um, 
at every aid station. So I used Tailwind. That was actually um, against my advice. I'm a hypocrite. That was actually the first time that I had ever tried Tailwind. And uh, thank God it worked. It didn't taste that great after um, a day and a half of drinking it, but um, it, it, it seemed to help me um, cover my nutritional basis. Other than that, most of what I ate was uh, beef jerky and some aid station food. I can't recall all of the aid station food that I ate. I don't think I picked out mostly on beef jerky. Just I got the protein and I got the um, additional salt from the jerky. And so I prefer that over um, eating a lot of sugar and then crashing. But uh, Courtney Tollwater, I think that's how you say her name. Uh, hopefully I'm not messing it up too bad. If I am, I'm sorry. She was on a podcast like a year or two ago and was talking about how she likes candy. She favors candy. So she eats a lot of candy, she said. And I believe she's run like 240 miles um, and made records. Like she's run faster than the fastest male um, on the same distance. So, you know, what do I know? <laughs> if you want to eat candy and that works for you, then definitely eat candy. For me, it's beef jerky and the saltiness. Um, I... I try to stay away from sugar because it tends to make me crash and it doesn't help me that that much. Um, uh, but yeah, Tailwind worked great for me. Again, you probably are going to want to test it before you just go to an event and use it the whole way. Scratch is what I use for hydration mix. Again, I don't use uh, straight water because I like to replace the electrolytes as I'm using them. And then also I have just a little bit of sugar to carry me through. Um, so I will sometimes take Laura bars just because they're not as high in sugar as like uh, Cliff bars and stuff like that. I feel like there's enough real um, fruits and nuts things in a Laura bar as well uh, and they're easily like they're accessible so you can get them at most grocery stores and uh, you know Target or whatever uh, and they don't cost a crazy amount of money like some of these bars now I'm not saying you know I'm not trying to say anything bad about them but like one bar that's about the same size as a Laura bar will cost you know like four or five dollars or maybe three to five dollars that's just that's too much for me um so but i will carry like some laura bars just in case i need to mix it up because eating the same thing for a day and a half and then um, you know you just you get tired of that and sometimes you just need a little treat to kind of get your spirits up and that's kind of the key to ultra running is you use little mind tricks to, to keep you going to like the water on your face. You might have a little chocolate chip Laura bar tucked away. Um, 
I've taken the, uh, I forgot what they're called. I think it's some kind of protein cookie. I think it's called Laurel and something, like Lyle and Laurel or something, the little protein cookies. But I think half of one is like 240 calories. Uh, and so they're, they're full of calories. I don't know. They've got so much sugar in them that there's potential for crashing. Uh, so yeah, just be mindful of that. As far as gels and things like that, I don't personally use them. I used to use goo a lot. Um, but then I found that I didn't really need it that much. I kind of weaned myself off of goo. But for a long time, I was trying like a lot of things like that. Like I used goo gels at first, and then I was like, well, you know, maybe I'll try to drink straight uh, maple syrup. So I had a, um, a hammer, uh, like a gel container that I got from Hammer Nutrition. And uh, I filled it full of maple syrup and just did that. And I don't know. I don't think that was a good move. Um, I just, I don't use gels now. Mostly just beef jerky, maybe a couple of uh, bars or one of those protein cookies. And um, just try to limit the sugar. And then Tailwind works good. I'll probably use that my next um, long distance ultra and then definitely scratch I that's my go-to I make sure I have plenty of scratch all right so I'm gonna go ahead and wrap up this podcast I think I've gone for about an hour maybe a little over an hour now um, I'll do another one soon and um, maybe talk a little bit about uh, just some of them the interpersonal kind of hygiene items uh, because doing your first events or e- even after you've done several uh, sometimes it can be daunting you don't know how to kind of like fit in or um, what the proper etiquette is for um, doing these events uh, interacting with other people um, it can be it can be a, a challenge in and of itself. So I'll talk a little bit more about that maybe next podcast. Um, but until then, I'm going to go ahead and wrap this up and edit it and get it online. And then I got to go to sleep. I'm going to do a little um, fan bike tonight, maybe a little more kettlebell and then start winding down get ready to go to work tomorrow um but until then until next time uh, i hope that all of you stay safe and as healthy as possible remember to wash your hands practice your social distancing um and just because you're maybe indoors or you can't go to your regular spots um don't use that as an excuse to not be active. Make sure you find a way. So do some calisthenics or, um, you know, some yoga, whatever you can do within your four walls. If you've got exercise bikes or a treadmill or whatever, use them. Uh, that's why you got them. 
it's not as good, I think, as being outside, but um, it's something, and sometimes something is better than nothing. So uh, keep up the good work, and we'll see you next time, or we'll talk to you next time. Uh, take care, everybody.